Hey everybody, it's Nolan North, you know, Nathan Drake from Uncharted, and you're listening to the Geek Apocalypse Podcast. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Geek Apocalypse Podcast with yours truly, Mr. Stephen Hesse. Thanks so much for listening to the bandwagon that is the Geek Apocalypse Podcast, where it has become an increasingly difficult to maintain these podcasts. But I do want to maintain them and I do want to keep doing them because they take me away from the annoyance and disapproving... <laughs> disapproving, like, like life has a, ooh, like a teacher, how dare you behave, um, the disapproving or disappointing and annoyance that is everyday life and dealing with shit. Um, but yeah, so apologies so much for the delay um, of this most recent episode, if this is your first time listening, thank you so much and please do be patient and understand that it, I hope this is an awesome experience and an awesome podcast for you and um, that you continually want to listen, obviously, um, but... For those that listen regularly, they'll know that I've been struggling to maintain doing... I, I recently made the decision to make the podcasting once a fortnight, and that was my intent. Um, but unfortunately, my mom, which I've mentioned, if you, as again, if you listen regularly, you'll know this, that I've been looking after my mom since the beginning of this year because she's been struggling with her Parkinson's and her mental health recently. Um, that's taken a turn for the worst that um, I discussed on the last Mentally Sound show, which I'll get to in a second, which is the other podcast I do with Ricky who's today's guest because uh, this is a hosted episode um, so we did this around uh, the royal wedding um, and this is uh, it's, we, we kind of bitch about the, the amount of media content that has because I'm not really a royalist as it were I know like Americans kind of treat it more than better than we do um, so we talk about that and unfortunate sequels or unnecessary sequels I can't quite remember what the title is that we phrased it but the title of this episode you will he- you will know what we're referring to. So we talk about like enjoy the process of like sequels that didn't make sense. Um, start you know like Independence Day two for example and uh, Zoolander two and you know the whole host of stuff where they're just you know taking the taking the piss really in terms of getting audiences to see really bad sequels like Jaws four. Um, but yeah, so um, really really enjoyed having this episode with Ricky and obviously tangent orientated like the podcast is. Um, sort of, um, you know, hopefully it'll be cosy and just sit down and have and, and listen to two really good friends talk about a load of random stuff. Um, so we don't talk about my mom in particular in that episode, which is why, like I just said, Mentally Sound, which is a show I do every um, two, twice a month now. So every second Friday, 12 till 2 p.m. on Spice FM 98.8 FM. If you go to www.spicefm.co.uk, you can listen to it live. Or you can go to Mentally Sound on iTunes and find it there. But the last episode, I spoke about my mom having a, a hallucination episode last Thursday, which has just made our family like really have to rally around. So it's been really, really difficult to maintain just doing anything. So um, I'm going to release that, uh, an episode after this one, so really, really soon, where the last 40 minutes of that show, I talk about um, I talk about it. And with it being Mental Health Week recently, I think that was appropriate being about mental health. So that's the next two episodes. I'm going to try and get back to life as quick as possible. But this is a hosted episode with myself and Ricky. Thank you.
welcome to Stephen is Dying. Uh, <laughs> 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 just want to say to everybody that I love you. Uh, <laughs> I think for me, for me, I'm very, well, you already know I'm weather sensitive, but even like when, you know, when you've had like a few warm days and then it kind of gets chilly again, you kind of really feel it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. For those that are listening, like, because we are from the northeast of England, and yeah, the, the, the temperature, like, went from being really, really nice to just being miserable today. Um, and I have been out a lot today. Um, I also have we, realized. Have we started? Have we started? Well, I, I don't know, have we? <laughs> I guess just the quicker we start, um, the quicker yeah. it ends, as they say. Like a good old fashioned bout. <laughs> yes, me and Ricky fight to the death. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I just realised looking at my um, looking on my office table that I haven't took my um, well, I take one now. I haven't took my hair fever tablets today. Because I think I might be um, coming on with a little bout of hair fever. Do you suffer from hair fever? No, not really. Just I mean, yeah, quite lucky. Yeah, uh, it was weird. It was weird for me because. Um, I used to almost be like, uh, it's a, like it's a fallacy. There's no such thing. Because uh, <laughs> um, when when people used to tell me that they had it, I would be like, really? It doesn't make much sense. Uh, I've never had it before. And then like out of nowhere, like I just had it one year, and uh, I have it on and off now. Um, I sometimes mean, I'm fine. Sometimes I'm alright. Because we've had like such an erratic. Um weather since the new year it does feel like a, I, feel, I do feel like a bit of a hypochondriac because like you know every illness just goes goes up and down you just get I wanted to make that old joke off I knew you'd say that <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but um, but yeah so um, um, yeah so I think it probably might be about of hay fever because the weather has been particularly nice in the northeast of England uh, right now, and you know anyone I've ever bumped into, which has been like quite annoying, they've all like went it's really nice that the weather's been so great, and I'm like, yeah, I know, but <laughs> um, like it's in, you know, but it's I'm, anyone who's not from England probably has that stereotypical view that we never see the sun when we do. It's like a relief, it's like a reminder that it's there, um, and today reminded us that we are <coughs> in Britain, and it's well, I, have, I have a new nickname for myself, and that's like the Scrooge of Summer. <laughs> And the reason I give myself that nickname is because whenever there's warm weather, you know, everyone, including my mum, when I who have been in like taxis like in recent days, and she yeah. was, you know, like the weather's the first point of conversation with somebody. Uh-huh. And I, I feel like you know, chucking the spanner in the works by saying, "No, I, I totally love these grey skies and cool weather. I'm absolutely, <laughs> you know," and it just sort of like bring everyone's mood down, like because because you know. Like I said to you on the radio show, like I revealed on the last show, that I reverse sad, like in your yeah, diary. Yeah. So yeah, that's worth that's worth pointing out that like because I will put them up uh, probably the same time as this is that um, so that the we we've moved mentally sound, which is a mentally sound radio show. Most people who listen to this regularly, I'm assuming, knows what that is. And me and Ricky host it on a radio show, um, an FM frequency in the northeast of England. Um, which is interesting that I sent Ricky an article, or at least I mentioned to him, that um, FM frequencies, they're considering government-wise in the UK to drop fre- FM frequencies because um, 50% of people who listen to any radio content do digital digitally. 
um, which is not surprising to hear, which is interesting. But um, the Spice FM, which is what the show is on, asked us to do a fortnightly show instead of a monthly show, which is what we used to do. Um, and again, Ricky's referring to that he mentioned that he was reverse sad, which I was fascinated by at the time, which you'll hear in my voice when he reveals it, because I went, well, first of all, didn't know he had that. And secondly, I had no idea it was a thing, um, which is what you said, wasn't it? You had no idea. No, I, neither did I until a few weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Just, well, just whilst we had the um, the heat wave, which was, what, like a month, a month yeah. ago somewhere? And um, so obviously I remember heat wa- hashtag heat wave was trending and I, I was like, you know, everyone was saying how brilliant it is. And <clears throat> and again, the Scrooge of Summer was like, actually, I'm not happy. And I'm so, so oh. down and out and I'm I'm indoors and I'm sweating like a pig and all that stuff. And like, you know, but I, I did mention the mental health aspects of it as well, you know, that makes me prone to anxiety even more so. And then I just got this tweet from a, a journalist. Um, he says, is it all right if I DM you? Uh-huh. Um, because I'm writing an article about um, people who <clears throat> feel worse in the summer. Um, so, so yes, so, so I answered, answered her questions and, uh, and then she revealed that the re- what I'm writing about is something called reverse sad. Um, I'm noticing more and more people like yourself who are expressing and, um, these sorts of feelings. I mean, the, being the complexity of mental health, all the other people were given different, um, points across different symptoms and I was like, you know, with with, with the things associated with anxiety attacks, so it's <clears throat> the palpitations and, and uh, the hot flushes and uh, the panic uh, and uh, yeah, it, it resonated with, with other people there, so it was like, okay. And then I mentioned to a, a psychologist um, friend of mine, he hadn't heard of it, so it's going to, I think it's one of them that's going to be quite new and maybe published more and more as as, as more word, more word of it was out. But remember when we had um, the the guy, John, in the studio who joined us on Mental Health News uh, from Recovery for Life? Uh-huh. It, apparently he'd heard of it before because he mentioned it. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, when I was at the... Because I was at the... Um, I was due to meet you at the beach, but then you had the, the thing with your mum so you couldn't make it. And then... Yeah. I remember saying to people when I when when I said where I was going on Sunday, because on the Saturday before I was out with Acorn, <clears throat> and that was quite a warm day, and I was just kind of hoping that being out on the beach that it wouldn't be as warm because I know I'd be. Fortunately, it was. Um, I mean, the sun was out, but it wasn't humid. It was quite. There was a quite a nice sea breeze coming across, so I wasn't too bad. So did you end up uh, going to that anyway? The the Sunday thing. Oh, we yeah. Yeah, should I talk about it? Yeah. yeah, go ahead, yeah. yeah um, just to, just to um, I'm sure I'll, I'll like, to touch on, like, because um, obviously my mom, which has been mentioned in several podcasts, particularly this year, um, so I'll provide some sort of an update on that, obviously, because that's, like, an ongoing thing, and uh, Ricky's referring to this particular weekend on the day we're recording this. Um, the weekend just gone. Um, my mom had like a kind of weird turn, which I've been spending today resolving. So the event that Riggy's talking about was a mental health thing that we sort of got invited to, um, and already had heard about, and it was in Collicoats, uh, which is a place in the um on the seaside of the northeast. Um, 
so yeah, I, I couldn't end up going because of what Ricky just said, which I'm sure I'll mention later. But uh, so yeah, do you want to say what what it was and what you and how how did it get how did it get out? So the background to this was that um, down south, um, <clears throat> a group called Owls, which I, I think is made up of um, people within the like uh, people within the mental health field, so including psychologists, nurses, so on, um, got together with the Camden Council. Um, Camden's like North London, quite a hip place, um, and the idea was that the um, in order to get people talking more, more, and more about their feelings and mental health, um, because I'm sure you'd agree, Steve, that some of us feel more. Well, most of us probably feel more empowered to talk to strangers about our problems than our nearest and dearest. Um, yeah, so the yeah. idea, the idea was that if you were to create like some sort of like booth out in the middle of nowhere where passers-by can for, for just like two three minutes can just sit down and have a chat with with someone um just to offload what they have on their chest and hopefully uh feel empowered to then talk to people in their networks uh, their loved ones so they they don't get they don't have to suffer in silence anymore mm-hmm. um quite a novel and simple um project so um Another group I'm involved with, Psychology Against Austerity, uh, thought, well, we'll we'll do our own version. And uh, the idea was that to uh, put these booths out in the street, in, in the, on the seafront, um, you know, picking quite a, a location of serenity <clears throat> might um, motivate people to talk. <clears throat> so I got there and um, I was I was heading over towards there. Um, I I got the text from you saying you weren't able to make it, and also I had another friend who I was I was sort of waiting on to to come and join me, and uh, but she was getting delayed or she was she couldn't come till later on, so I, I went over. I was actually hanging around in Timeout Market as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I got back into my sort of record collecting phase for a bit, and I was like looking at vinyl, and then I just thought, okay, <laughs> I'll make my way over there, and uh, I was ringing Nick. Ring uh, Nick, Nick, uh, who's the chair of the group, rang me, asking me about progress and stuff. And then he said, um, he said oh, we're actually thinking of packing up because um, it hasn't gone as well as we thought. And I was like, oh, okay. So I, I thought that was intriguing. So I, anyway, I went there. Um, they were, didn't pack up just yet. They were just like spent a bit more time then. And there was kind of like a huddle discussion as to why. <clears throat> this wasn't uh, achieved as as well as they'd hoped because in London they had like queues of people uh, turning up to talk. Mm-hmm. So we all came up with our own theories, really. And um, well, first of all, let's, let's say this is an experiment. I don't think anything like this would would take off uh, immediately. Yeah, there were some curious people asking what it was, and I think at most only a couple of people sat down in the actual booth, like this segregated place and talk with, you know, uh, one some of the group members. Uh, because there was quite a few of us there. Uh, I think there was about maybe 10 overall. Um, mm-hmm. So having two people come along and talk isn't great. Yeah. So you just thought afterwards, well, what what is it then? And um, my, th- my own theory was that uh, in regards to what they did down in London, they set it up in a, in a very urban environment. And maybe the fact that you're in an urban environment, you know, the hustle and bustle of it all, you probably feel more compelled to uh, just stop. You, you want to stop sometimes when you're in that mad sort of concrete jungle 
Um, and if you do have that two or three minute uh, stopgap to express, then mm-hmm. you feel more wanting to do that where, where, compared to maybe out, out, out on the seafront, for example, because I guess maybe you already feel at ease or, you know, you know you're in that sort of zone, aren't you, like serenity-wise. So maybe um, you're relaxed anyway. And yeah. maybe, do, you know, do you see where I'm coming from? Yeah, yeah, no, totally. Um, others, I... others had their own theories, I think. Um, my, If we were to do it again, I was going to suggest somewhere like, if we were thinking of town, somewhere like Lisa's Park, uh, where the lake is, you know, like it's yeah, like the yeah. greenery where it's like... Um, it's the only bit in town where you don't get to hear the traffic. It's like mm-hmm. a lot of staff go out there from like the hospitals because it's near the RVI, isn't it? So you see a lot of staff um, members go out there on their lunch break. Um, so yeah, I think it's it's a learning curve. We're learning as we go along, but it didn't get off to the quite the launch that we'd hoped. So to be honest, you not being there wasn't so much of a great loss because we wouldn't have much to record. Um, but Fair we enough. should. We should still go next time, uh, wherever it may be. And, and like, I'll take that personally. You being there was not a big deal. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I mean, <laughs> I know you meant. I know you meant. It's fine. And it's for, for, for the fact that we're recording the podcast now, I had to mute that joke. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, no, it's interesting because uh, as, as you were talking about it, um, the thought of telling a stranger over a loved one, I think, is a really interesting concept. Because, and the reason that I, I, because I think um, on the back of what you said about it not being successful and maybe I also think it maybe is like a sort of north and south divide um, not to not to pigeonhole people or be stereotypical about a particular area but what I've particularly noticed in the northeast of England is the lack of desire to talk about mental health um, I mean if you remember obviously you were there so you will remember but the last mentally sound show that we did, which was a week and a half ago, um, we talked a lot about like that we have the worst in a lot of things mental health orientated, you know, like the worst suicide rate, the worst addictions, um, which usually indicates people who aren't willing to deal with how they feel. Um, and I think that probably was a factor as well, because. You know, we definitely, because of the working class aspect of things, it's this like step up, step up a list, survival instinct of, you know, I think quite a lot of people aren't aware they actually have a problem. Um, and, what, and what I find interesting about you saying about the stranger stuff is um, I think that is an, also an indication that you have a problem because um, I can give you an example in relation to my mom, for example is that when a person is so depressed and overwhelmed in, like, mental health issues, that you usually find, like, when they're doing basic things, that they can't help but tell strangers how they feel inside. Mm-hmm. So to, to give you a very, very, what seems a very, you know, arbitrary um, example, but an important one is, like, I took my mom to get her glasses refitted, like redone because they weren't like because I headed like you know she lost a bit of weight so and and on her face as well so they were sliding off uh, ears so she needed to get them reset so we went to um uh, uh, I was gonna say the name of the people but like not that it matters but like I went to a well-known um glass provider who she bought them from okay and glasses provider and so the woman very nice person came up and went hello what's your issue 
and then my mum, without saying hello or anything, because she does this when I say her, and I keep telling her not to do it, is she just goes, I've got Parkinson's, um, which has got, in an objective bubble, has nothing to do with getting your glasses refitted. You don't, she doesn't need to know that. It's not relevant. Um, but it's a coded thing of, like, crying out for, like, I'm not doing good. So then she starts to say, because she doesn't get a reaction to that, um, oh, by the way, also, I'm really struggling at the minute. And, you know, my you know my um, my sister died last year and it was really awful. And, you know, in front of, like, you know, a, a shop full of people and she's just providing a service and she's yeah. trying to be nice. Yeah. But But my point is, don't know this person. She's just there to provide a service as in a man paid for these glasses already. It's part of the, the service for the glasses. So it didn't cost anything, no cash transa- transaction or anything like that. But it's a very, very good example of a good, good sign that somebody is not doing good and they actually want to talk. So it's not necessarily a negative thing. It's negative in terms of they're doing that in a in 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 an in a inappropriate setting. But you can look at it in a roundabout way and say, well, my mom actually wants to talk about it, so that's really good. You make um, a good you make a good point um, regarding the the reasons why you think you know the northeast are we more closed up because i thought there was in terms of like the north north south divide it was more the southerners who were more um close because a lot of comedians mention this don't they like especially the northern comedians they always say like whenever they go down south it's like whenever you whenever you ask somebody in in london for the time they just look at you (laughs) (laughs) rather than just sort of like uh you know being friendly and giving you the time, just like, what the hell's wrong with you? How <laughs> day. I, but you see, I, I met, <clears throat> I met my friend Chrissy um, afterwards, um, out in the, and she lives in Whitley Bay, which mm-hmm. is just along from Colour Courts, and yeah. and she 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 said she wasn't surprised because she she said there's like, but she put it put it down to like there's more people that tend to be more conservative towards the, uh, towards the coast. Um, therefore, it is a bit more stiff. So it kind of confirms what you said. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also also say in terms of, um, you know, you mentioned the stats that have been high over suicides up here. And even, do you remember the domestic abuse charity that were guests on a show a few months yeah. ago? Mm-hmm. He said um, domestic abuse cases are highest in the country up here as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we do have, we do have a problem. Um most cases of alcohol as well and stuff like that, which, again, I think addiction, if you lead yourself to addiction, I mean, obviously, it's a very difficult thing, and I'm not saying, you know, but people end up in addiction for a variety of different reasons. But in some way, you are basically addressing in a self, um, self-healing self way, like something else that's bothering you. Yeah, like you're not dealing with something in order to be addicted to something else to feel better in like a in a, in a short term way um you know that that is essentially what addiction is um you know so i think if that if there's a pattern of a lot of people more people getting addicted in a particular area it usually it usually indicates in my opinion a pattern in that particular society of people who are told that's the way you deal with things um and and i see that pattern a lot um uh, there's there's people I know currently who, um, you know, know people who are like got a drink. Clearly, clearly got clearly are functioning alcoholics, and they 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 it's tolerated by people around them. 
and, and that, that that's what worries me because it's the toleration because they look at like friends and other people that they're that they're around and they think that that's all right and that's how you do deal with you know feeling sad all the time and feeling helpless and and or got a problem that you haven't dealt with. Do you think there is a difference then between being friendly and being open? Uh, what what I'm where, where I'm coming from on that is like because mm-hmm. cause you often hear people outside the region saying how how friendly Geordies are and very open they are. Mm-hmm. Yet it, it, it the the conversation we're having seems to confirm that there's a kind of a cut off point where we we are open and friendly, but um, perhaps we're not as open as we think. In terms well, of... I think what you just said. I think you're. I think the distinction you made is. I think exactly what it is is that. Um, being friendly uh, doesn't necessarily mean that you're not guarded because it could be a guarded friendliness as in, you know, just to be polite uh, and to be, you know, um, considerate and whatnot, which are all good qualities. But that's the diff- that's different than, like, being open-minded and being, op- like, personally open. There's different, like, there's different parts, of, there's different types of being open as well. Like, you know, being open with other people, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, the, uh, I guess to give you a very, very interesting example, I think, because I've heard this before, like therapists say this and whatnot, that you can be open too much for a certain thing, like as in a person who is open to other people, is it might be substituting for not being open enough <laughs> with themselves. And uh, and uh, there was a podcast I did on here um, with Pamela Nadu, who did that um, um, Friends, the, the Platonic Friends book. Um, and I remember talking to her about that because basically um, a person who does a string of one-night stands is probably doing that because the the, the sort of underpinning uh, reason behind it is not only because it's like, you know, satisfying and just do it in terms of just doing it, but um, it's substituting for being uncomfortable being on their own yeah. um, and not wanting to, you know, to think outside of uh, 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 and, or uh, fear of commitment or... Um, you know, like the, the the so so that could be required as quite an open person in terms of like, oh, I'm willing to sort of sleep with everybody, but then you, it, it's not being open with intimacy and commitment and um, you know all that kind of and loyalty and uh, and hard work it, for it to build a relationship and so it really all depends how you look at it. But um, so I. You also someone who can be overly friendly could be just doing that as compensating for the fact that they're scared, as well. Um, whereas what you said about London people being a bit guarded, it's probably they might know that you know the the, the other string to that argument is they might know that it's um, dangerous to be open to people because they've been open before. Whereas a friendly person might just be friendly for the sake of it, or they might be overcompensating because. They don't want you to know more, um, so they're just like you know, being friendly enough to to deal with you there I mean, and then. You, you, the, the example you give of your your mother at um, this this uh, very popular <laughs> other other glass companies are available. Other glasses companies are available. I mean, I mean, I I, for, I, I take it rhymes. It rhymes with neck saber. <laughs> <laughs> The popular the popular slogan is should have gone to bleep yeah yeah yeah, yeah. should have gone to Mac Bleavers <laughs> right for <of> that <laughs> I'm just gonna keep 
David like Rodden with I'm going to make up an artist as Mario. Yeah. Um, but yeah, because I'm sorry, famous, say, but, then, yeah. you know I when I take taxis quite often, and sometimes you're almost compelled to have a conversation. Um, <laughs> I don't know what it is. I, I I would love to make a book about my you know ramblings that you have with taxi drivers because you you end up. Re- <laughs> They 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 reveal all sorts of stuff, but then so do you. I mean, I'm the same in the sense that you know, if we're having a, a random conversation and it ends up being a conversation about mental health, then I, it's almost it's almost like the next line for me to to admit that. Well, yeah, I have anxiety, I have PTSD, um, as you know, because it, it takes it forward. You kind of like you go. It's almost like a game, like I reveal something, then you reveal something. I mean, I don't know the driver from Adam, but uh, <laughs> he or she is compelled to re- reveal stuff, which, you know, you wouldn't normally hear in a normal conversation with, with people. It's funny but, you said that because um, I, I've I've had to, as I'll get into, took a lot of taxi uh, taxis today. And, yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I find myself conforming to the personality that they are. And it's the only place, which I think is a fascinating sort of study, like you were just saying, that how you behave in a taxi, in a taxi, I think is different, at least for me, than any other like position I find myself in. Like I'm, the, as I'm, I'm hoping Ricky will, Ricky will agree with this, is that I'm the same person as you here now, pretty much um, when I'm having a coffee with Ricky or when I'm with my girlfriend or whatever. I'm pretty much, I'm the same person pretty much all the time. Um, because I, you know, because I'm pretty, pretty open-minded, um, and I always try and be better in that in that aspect because it's, I think, makes a more interesting life. Um, but in a taxi, I find myself like if they are just, it's, it's the, it's the kind of high school thing if you try and fit in. It still is, it still is, in my head somewhere because if a taxi driver starts going like, you know, like you know, Trump knows what he's saying or something like that, and I'm like going, yeah, I know what you're saying, yeah. And I'm like, I don't want to. I do not want to do the opposite view on a taxi because I kind of go, I have to. They have to drive to my destination, and I just I cave in and just don't don't say what I actually think in a taxi. In a, in a yeah. it almost feels like you're in a it's confession, but you're being sort of told to told to agree with them. Yeah, I know. Um, it's it's and weird. You mean, they might they might bump up the fare or something. And yeah, you, like that you story. Say, I'll get I'll get I'll just get up now, thanks, mate. Yeah, like that story. I thought. Like that story I told you when we when we were supposed to win an award when I went to Silverstone and like oh, it took yeah. forty minutes to get there and then he turned the music off and then the he turned the music off and like the the blinds and the windows went down and I'm like okay this is it he's gonna take me to the forest and kill me and and uh you know and like did like a separator came they're, up they're and I'm all like, <laughs> they're all they're all one or two really canny drivers who went who were like regulars and and always guaranteed great to chat with them. Yeah. That's, that's how, in one sense, mentally sound is quite popular with, with with some of them because I always chat about the radio show. But another one, right? Um, again, it's it's some people, you know, it's a comp- it's an example of how you can have, uh, ex- you know, extremes of both ends in the sense that um, this this lady driver I've known for a few years, and I don't often uh, get to, but she she sometimes uh, get in her cab, and she's uh, she's a she's an avid. Um, Radio Four listener, so you automatically think of a stereotype where she <laughs> she loves drama and she's very uh, artsy and quite articulate and uh, quite highbrow. And then one time, I remember we were just, just chatting about um, 
mental health and then they liked about cuts to services and and then it was like she suddenly got onto capital punishment. And she's going, <laughs> Oh, look away these, look away these and let's get rid of them and I'll happily pull the lever and I'm like, What? And this is while the the bloody arches are on the background and I'm like <laughs> And also, she was. She sounded like a grand. She sounded also. She sounded like a granda. Black and white, black and white, black and white, black and white, bloody awesome. <laughs> like some sort of gangster. Mm. Yeah. No, no. It, it's yeah. It, that happens to me in taxi. You can't go by stereotypes. Sometimes you'd be surprised what you what you. Oh like. no, no. I always try. Like we 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 bump into because of the show we do mentally sound in particular. I mean, because this one's a lot more of a free flowing conversation. We say what we think, kind of thing. But actually, I think we uh, we we jump into stereotypes on mentally sound quite frequently. And I always kind of go, well, that's just a stereotype, and we don't necessarily mean that. It's just that's what's perceived. Um, but you find discrimination is very often deals with stereotypes. So. You kind of have to acknowledge them and kind of say that, like, not really true. Um, there could be more likely. I think that's the thing that people misinterpret. I think stereotypes can be more likely, hence why they're stereotypes some of the time. But um, it doesn't mean all the time, like 100%, that you're going to get, you know. Uh, I've been very interested recently in this kind of, uh, you know, what's regarded as the British way. That, that our, our stereotypes are like talking about the weather or queuing and stuff like that. But in terms <laughs> of like, <laughs> I think you know what it is. You know when this like, what would, what would the Brits talk about if it wasn't for the weather? Mm-hmm. But you know what? I've become more akin to the fact that you know, the talking about the weather is just a great way of breaking the ice with people. Mm-hmm. Because when you when you have a conversation, it's not it's not full on about the weather. Because you're obviously going to go off on tangents and talk about other things. I remember when taking my mum to the hospital for a physio, mm-hmm. and the port the, the porter came down and um, got the wheelchair for her. And um, yeah, inevitably it was like, mm, not a bad day today, blah blah blah. And uh, yeah, then then we ended up talking about because um, um, he's like a rambler, and he was talking about this particular um, walk that he goes on and. Um, Roland's Gill, for your listeners, it's like, isn't it part of Gateshead? Like the tip of Gateshead or somewhere? Um, on the, I think on the outskirts anyway. Mm. And uh, there's a walk which which you can go there from all the way down to Concert, which is like North Durham. So it's a good few miles. Mm-hmm. It's a beautiful valley. Yeah. And he was talking about that. And I happened to study that part of the um, the region uh, in my geography project. I did like, I was like uh, measuring like erosion and all that stuff. So... So then you, you was, it ended up being a chat about, you know, like um, walking and country parks and all that stuff. But I just think the, the, the weather is a great... Um, I, I think I think what I, yeah, I think what you said is spot on because um, I think that's, again, what people go... Uh, that, that is almost a stereotype in itself because people go, oh, people talk about the weather too much, but without realising, can't you just treat it as the, it's kind of a small talk tool? And, yeah. You know, it, I, I would... I, I mean... I, how many times do I, if me and Ricky sit down, I think it's all based on how well you know each other as well, because I think if me and Ricky sat down in a co- in a co- and had a coffee in a place, we talk about loads of different things, like we do here. So the idea of talking about the weather is obsolete to me, but yeah, I can definitely see myself saying that with someone I don't know that well. And in taxis in particular, like we're just talking about it, that's like the number one question. You know, Peter K does that routine where he says, like, have you been busy? How long are you on till? I think the third one. My is, man. 
the weather, oh. like, oh. Yeah. Sorry? My mum's totally like that. I've seen that Peter K um, routine, and, and she's the same. My mum's the sort of person, you know, that sometimes I might be in a cab and I just don't want to talk. Mm-hmm. I just want to, like, you know, be in my own thoughts. And <laughs> I, I, can, I can tell when a driver is a talker or a, or a you know, a, like myself, yeah. you know, yeah. they're quiet. Yeah. And my mum, my mum can't handle that because, because even when I can sense the tribe, mum will still come out with, being busy today, and you know, just because she can't say quiet. <laughs> she's quite, she's quite a gregarious person. She hates quietness. She needs to talk. Well, yeah, it's funny because um, I had a conversation about this with Haley the other day, and um, I think she got a ta- uh, she got a taxi to something. I think I can't remember what. Is that right? I don't think she gets taxis, but I can't remember. But we were talking about it anyway. Maybe I got a taxi and we were just talking about it. And I said the taxi driver was quiet. And then she, like, uh, messaged me back saying, you know, my kind of taxi driver. I like taxi drivers that are quiet. And I went, that's fundamentally the difference between me and Because <laughs> I'm like, I hate them when they're quiet. Um, because I think, cause, but the way I do is that, like, because she went, well, do you not like people being quiet? And I went... No, I think that's the biggest misconception people get about me because when I'm on my, when I'm like in in a private setting with people, I actually can be pretty quiet. Um, but when I'm in a social setting, I kind of have this view of, and I think you know, because this is the thing about like people who prefer being on their mobile phones instead of talking to people, that drives me crazy. Because in a social setting, I regard like my anybody role in a social setting to communicate with each other and to and to be nice and with a taxi driver it's like i i actually do think they're sort of paying you're paying them not only to give you a lift but also to like you know interact with you because i don't like this because i think if they don't say anything i think my brain goes to i I feel like i'm being chauffeured around or something and that's not what i feel that's not what i like at all um and also i think to me it just comes across as rude because there was one taxi driver I got the other day. He drives in a, um, obviously don't know the person's name, so I'm not going to shame him, but he drives in like a really nice Mercedes. It's like a really nice vintage Mercedes and it's like really comfortable leather seats. And he's picked me up a couple of times from my house when I needed to go to my mom's quickly. Mm-hmm. And um, he doesn't say a word, doesn't even say hello, doesn't acknowledge that I've said anything. He, I just say like, oh, I'm going to such and such and starts driving. And it really pisses me off. It really annoys us because I just think it's rude. Because um, I don't yeah, think it costs I'm, nothing to be polite. Um, I'm 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 both in that respect. There's times where I like the quietness, and there's times where I wouldn't hmm. agree with you that if this was a regular driver and you, he's always quiet, then then you just oh, well. In my like, co- in my conversation with um in my conversation with Haley, I just basically said uh, we sort of agreed in it needs. I think somewhere in the middle is appropriate. So, like, somebody who doesn't say too much, because I've had the opposite, too. Like, this happened today. A guy a guy who is more than willing to voice his opinion on very little information, <laughs> which is what happens, like... Because, obviously, a lot of the time when I get taxis, it's because I need to do something for my mom in a quick fashion. So, if they get on to talk about me, like, what, I've been, what I'm doing, then it obviously mm-hmm. gets to what my mom has, what my mom's doing, my mom's got Parkinson's, all right, what's that? Um... And sometimes they say stuff in a kind of like, you know, like they're sort of sorting your life out in a 30-second conversation by going, have you done this? And I'm like, and you just think if they spend any second, you know, thinking about their reaction to what you're saying, like, for example, like, you know, Parkinson's, have you seen, has she seen a doctor? 
Well, after 14 years of having Parkinson's, you're just going to sit there and absorb it and go, I'll just I'll just see how we do it. I'll just see how I, I go. It's a really debilitating disease that, you know, you know, if you don't, if you don't uh, look after, it can, you know, really start disabling you. Um, and it's like, has she seen a doctor? I was just like, some people say the most ridiculous things because that's small talk without thinking and that's kind of just being dumb. You do get, um, you get coincidence, coincidence as well. I, um, I'll tell you a very recent example. You know, like I was down at Cardiff um, for the boxing match. Um, la- yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah Joshua, <clears throat> wasn't it? Yeah. Recently, recently, I got in a cab. And um, again, this is another example how different going on different tangents can, can, can lead to really interesting topics of conversation. And it's yeah. it, it, it a small world as well. So, I don't know, this, this driver was... Um, we we talked about anything and everything and then it ended up going about I think you mentioned have you ever been in an Uber and I says um, well I, I was uh, actually in an Uber cab in, in Cardiff because I was with two friends I met over the net um, we were going to see <clears throat> we were going to see a boxing match mm-hmm. um, and he said oh yeah Cardiff's a great city and he, says, and he was curious oh what boxing was it the Anthony Joshua one I says yeah because this guy he was a he was a, um, an amateur boxer in his time as well, mm-hmm. and we talk about do we like the modern modern boxing scene? And I says, I says, eh, it's 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 kind of getting better, but it's not as great as a classic, you know. And I mentioned I'm a huge huge fan of Muhammad Ali, and and I don't think it's not been as good since. And uh, he says, oh yeah, I met him, um um uh, brief, I met and talked to Muhammad Ali because you know, for your listeners. Castle in the end of the seventies and did like a tour, <clears throat> and um, he says, "Yeah, when he came to the when he came to Eldon Square, I got to ask him a question." And I said, "Oh, really? Because I've I've got the book of that visit." And he says, "Yeah, I've, I'm mentioning that book." Who, um, who did you say there? Because I think there was a bit of a cut there. Who did you say you were talking about? Muhammad Ali. Oh yeah, sorry. Okay. So and, you um, cut when you said that, sorry. Oh. I'll say yeah. So he uh, he came. He very famously came up here in the in nineteen seventy seven. I think it was. Um, like toured the region, everything got got the uh, went to the civic centre, got a reception, everything. So this yeah. taxi driver was um, um, mentioned in the book um, because there's a famous book out about Muhammad Ali's visit to the to the region, and uh, I've been given that book out as as presents to everybody, uh, including my friends in in Cardiff who you know that I that I spent spent going went to see the Anthony Joshua fight too. Yeah, yeah. So now it's like, you know, it's almost like a personalized gift. So like, <laughs> oh, I, I know the guy who asked Muhammad Ali the question there. He, yeah, he, he gave me a lift once. So it's like a small world and it's just, you know. It was always get- interesting when, I think I might have said this on a podcast a long time ago because I, 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 I found out about it and thought it was interesting. But um, the Alan Carr, uh, the comedian, like his dad is a football manager. And he managed to convince Muhammad Ali to go to like their football team, and he met him when he was really, really young. He met Muhammad Ali in person because he went to this football. Who was the manager? Uh, stadium. Uh, is that you know Alan Carr, the comedian? I think his yeah, dad yeah. was a his dad was a manager. You guys should Google it. Um, but oh. he showed he showed either on his like chat show or something. I think, or maybe Graham Norton or something. He showed a picture, and it was him with Muhammad Ali. Oh really? Um, yeah. Yeah, because I'm pretty certain his dad's like a his dad is a football manager. Um, no, 
I'm not a big famous one, I'm assuming. I, I don't remember a car. Uh, yeah, it's Graham. He's uh, he's it's Graham Carr, the the Newcastle T scout. Right. Yeah, okay. yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, his father. Yeah, his father's Graham Carr. Yeah. Right. Um. Do you know what? I, I, a year or two ago, I listened to a, a radio program. I forget the the lass's name, but she um. A very similar story to what you just said. She um, her her dad was uh, like one of the first leading black journalist of this country back in like the 70s and every time Muhammad Ali like visited London he was always guaranteed some time with him to ask him questions and record conversations with him and um, there was this press conference going on that Muhammad Ali gave and um, this journalist took took his daughter along like to, in the she was part of the crowd and Muhammad Ali famously like uh, gestured to 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 her to to come and sit on it. She can come and sit on his lap. So she <laughs> he sat on Muhammad Ali's lap for the press conference and. Um, He's so smooth. Except the only the only the only uh, thing that was bad about it was there was no photographic evidence. Well, <laughs> there supposedly oh. was. So she went on like a mission. To um, f well, she believed. Well, there was journalists in the room. There was obviously photographs taken, but none were published, or she didn't get to see any. Um, so she went on this mission to track down all the journalists who were in that room. Did anyone take a picture? Oh, that's nice. uh, it, was, it was quite a fascinating documentary. Yeah. And, but what happened was, um, the photograph. Some of the photographs that were taken in that in that room were sold to writers. I think in London. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she went writers, right, and says, "Could I, could I go into your library, please, and pick out this date? Because I believe there's a photograph of me and Muhammad Ali, and uh, they couldn't find it. And the reason was uh, there was there was a there was a flood, and uh, oh. <laughs> all the photographs of that particular uh. storage got got damaged and destroyed. <laughs> yeah, 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 Ricky. They conveniently had a flood. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, that could have went both, that could have went so many different ways, the way you were telling the story. I thought it was either, yeah, it was a convenient flood, or no, that'll be, yeah, yeah, you can have that picture for $2 million. <laughs> like, because you don't own it, because, you know, we've had it in our possession for enough time, and it's technically our photo now. So if you want a picture of it, it'll cost you this much amount of money. Um, so there's, there's a picture of Alan Kahn as a kid next Yeah, time. I think it's like Dagenham. And, uh, I, I was just looking through, because Graham Carr used to be a footballer. Um, okay. In the, like, late 60s. Um, he played for, like, York City. He might be in something like York City or something. But um, I'm sure you could find it on, like, I think it was Graham Norton he mentioned it on. Um, the Mahmoud Ali story I always like, because obviously that's a really, um, actually is a is a good segue, because... Obviously, Muhammad Ali, for those that don't know, is the like sort of main. Him and Michael J. Fox are the main like sort of symbolic celebrities of Parkinson's mm -hmm. disease. Um, so that is actually like a, a really good you know full circle thing because obviously that's what my mom has. Um, I remember um, Will Smith talking about when he did Ali. I always loved this story where he had to sit behind um, Muhammad Ali while he was watching Ali at the premiere. Mm -hmm. And so he said it was the single most like most like um worrying worrying thing he ever had to do, like just sitting there going like I hope the God he likes it, I hope the God he likes it. And apparently halfway through he like turns to face Will Smith and goes, Man, you're almost pretty enough to play me <laughs> <laughs> And he 
went exactly how I expected him to react because he always what, had yeah, that what? like wit. Sorry, what was that? Just think mm. of, there was a big spike there. Sorry, say that again. You cut off there, couldn't you? Yeah, I think we both did. Um, I was just saying what you what you thought of that film. Oh, Bali! I don't think I've actually seen it. Right. To be you know, in all honesty, I I, sh- I should have seen it because it it probably would interest us. But um, I think it was Michael Mann who directed it. Was it? Michael? it yeah, 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 yeah. He um, a lot. Of, he did a lot of films with Michael Mann. I I I think um, no no. I mean, I, I don't uh, no criticism of Will Smith. I think he did the best he could, but in the end. I don't think anyone could play Ali down yeah, to his probably. feet. Probably. Even 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 Ali couldn't play himself because towards the, I think was it after the Frazier fight he he starred in like an autobiographical sort of film, and he played himself. Probably. And, and obviously, it was obviously still him, but you can tell that he was reading off sort of lines, so he wasn't as being as brilliantly spontaneous as he is. You know how, you know, great he. Was. I just think possible job. Um, but I think Will did as good as he, as he did. You know. Yeah, I thought Will did as good as he could as well. So you know, I agree with you. I don't think I think it was a hard film to make. Um, I, I've said this on the podcast before. I don't know what episode, but I, I we I remember it might have been with you actually where we discussed like Oscar winners who should have won stuff. And I know he had said in the interview that he did get Oscar nominated for that. But he didn't think he should have won. He didn't deserve to win it. Um, and then um, he did say when he did Pursuit of Happiness that he thought he should have won then, um, which I actually agree. I think Pursuit of Happiness is probably, if I had to think about it, um, my favourite Will Smith film because it actually has like heart and um, it, it has a good point to it. Um, I'm not seen, I'm not seen, I don't think I've seen many of his films, to be honest. It's good. It's good. Because mm-hmm. uh, well, um, he's made some questionable choices but you know he's an A-list star so he's going to you know he takes risks um, I even thought about saying that he, um, he made a wise choice to bail out of Independence Day too. yeah oh yeah have you seen that yet oh it's god awful oh. <laughs> I heard it was it's like the two films I've been taught to avoid over the last like five years is that and Zoolander <laughs> 2 they, they are the two films where like my friend said they actually like fought um eating their own eyeballs would have been a more enjoyable experience than okay. than seeing them films. And I went, okay, I guess I'm not going to see them then. Mm. Um, yeah, Independence Day 2, when I heard like, the idea, because Will Smith wasn't in it, I just yeah. went, oh, it's going to be pathetically bad. Because um, Brent, Spiner, Brent Spiner's in it. How's Brent? Can you answer me a question then? Because I doubt I'm going to see it, right? So Independence Day 2, Brent, you know, do you know who Brent Spiner is? He played uh, the... He played yeah. the um, he yeah. played the the professor who went wow yeah 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 the yeah, science dude he was data in Star Trek that's how I know more that's right so I, a guy I'm a fan of but he died in the first one so how the hell did he did they just how the hell did they actually acknowledge that or did he actually die didn't I well, his face got pressed up against the glass didn't he and then just fell like you know when when they took over I'm his head it was brain I'm convinced he died. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. I know, yeah, but I thought like the slash his neck after he talked or something. Um, but maybe they could have done a whole like EastEnders, like you know, a yeah, soap I was going to say like a soap yeah. Up, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He didn't really die, you know. When when we said he had a brain hemorrhage and there was absolutely no chance in the world he was ever going to survive, yeah. we were lying. He was the <laughs> one out of a billion chance that you know, he's, and he made a full recovery. 
Only had a brain seizure. Um, I think you know, uh, technically, or, Will or, Smith or Dallas, he was. It was just a bad dream. <laughs> <laughs> Will Smith is kind of in 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 the second film in a way because his pictures on the wall and his son. Yeah, yeah, because isn't it about his son? That's the plot yeah. I remember. Yeah, because yeah. he had the whole son with the, the with his girl in the first. The weird thing is about the setting of that film, right? It's set, it's set like in like the, the the year now, but but it looks very futuristic. And the way they put it out was that, you know, the all the alien craft which which um, crashed and got defeated in the first film, mm-hmm. they 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 harnessed all that technology out of them ships to create like a very futuristic Earth. So so it's like now, like two thousand whatever it was made, but. Mm-hmm. You know, we roll. We roll. It was. It looked a bit like Back to the Future too. It was like everything was like sort of, uh, you know, futuristic. I wonder, I wonder if I wonder if uh, Hollywood steals off video game ideas because that sounds very similar to an alien invasion game called um, XCOM. Because in the first one, you save the world if you mm-hmm. finish this game, and then like in the second one, it basically goes. You know that all that stuff that happened. That was all bollocks. <laughs> like aliens did end up winning. Aliens, like aliens came out of nowhere, and like the bit you didn't see, like because it makes me go when they do sequels like that, when they cut to like in the future and go, actually the invasion did happen or something. Let's say for argument's sake, if I'm like a if I, if I was like an objective film fan, which I obviously think I am, I would mm-hmm. sit there and go, so you're depriving us of a really good film because you went the invasion happened, but we're gonna now go to a particular point in time. It's a bit like, um, it always annoys me about the Terminator films, that they always, like, skip ahead to all these different places. And it, I just think there's a lot more, like, interesting years they could have done. Um, and, you know, cause that's why I think Terminator 2 is always going to be the best Terminator film, because it's all about, mm-hmm. like, the, the approach to Skynet becoming active, whereas now yeah. it's all this stuff about jumping to the resistance with the John Connor in the future, and then they're all going back to stop what's that's already been- happened. I can make head material the last two. I, 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 the last one really annoyed me because it was so hard to follow. I mean, I kind of got what was going on. And it was like, you know, obviously just crowbarring in that they could have um, Arnie in it. Um, but I was, the reason I say I'm annoyed is because, as I said, it was a strange film and hard to follow. I still liked it. It was because uh, I, I liked it more than Terminator Salvation, the Christian Bale. Oh, one. yeah. Well, um, the, the previous. I would say Salvation and Terminator Three were were awful, but I just I can understand they want to do another film to try and, try and quash the previous ones in a way and have it all need back. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. But even then, it was still a bit weird for me. Yeah, it's going to end up all Star Trek, where it's like you know all the other stuff didn't really happen because we're, we're going to re we're going to rehash it all and then yeah. piss off millions of fans. Well, they, <laughs> they did that with Aliens, and also uh, the Halloween franchise did that. Because you had Halloween and you had Halloween too, and then you had all those bollocks of sequels that which were like. <laughs> so and then uh, Jamie Lee Curtis then came back to to do another like a final, which was like the fifth fifth installment or something. Yeah, yeah. But but in a way, it was done to quash the previous ones. And guess what? She signed up to do a new one. They're making a new one. At, uh, <laughs> yeah, never seen it. Yeah. Just jack the money up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, it, you know, that's really freaky that you said that, because um, I actually had been thinking about that yesterday, because um, because of how busy my day was yesterday, I didn't have, uh, or whatever day it was, it might not have been yesterday, actually, it might have been Sunday, 
Uh, yeah, that makes more sense because I was sorting stuff out for my mum. But I never got a chance to like have any uh, tea, so I was waiting in it to get some food at a takeaway. And okay. the woman put on, and it was on ITV, and it was like ten o'clock at night or something because I like it took me that long to get home, or it might maybe earlier than that, but whatever. People who were watching like um, English TV at the time would know what time it was, but um, she had ITV on, and it was Jaws Four <laughs> with Dennis Quaid. And I went, I haven't even remembered oh, no, it till. It's Jaws 3. It's Jaws 3. Sorry, beg your pardon. Yeah, Jaws 3. Um, oh, and God. I watched it going, oh my God, it looks terrible and it's only the opening credits. Um, and I'm like, Dennis Quaid, someone I actually know. Because um, I know that in jo- I know Michael Caine is in Jaws 4. Um, so that's why I should have known that was a mistake. Just a, just a quick one for your listeners, um, you know, because we're both Howard Stern fans. Um, there's, there's a guy on Howard Stern who does um, um, prank phone calls under the guise of Michael Kinn. And he always does, and he always says, I was in George 4, you know. <laughs> it's like his, like, um, yeah, his, his like, sort of like, amongst all the other great films he does, yeah. he's done, George 4 is used as the, uh, yeah, that's the yeah. pinnacle. That's the great, the greatest movie Hello? Hello, I'm still here. Oh, I cut off again. Hello? Hello? Yeah, thanks. I'm still here. Hello. That's right. Well, what what uh, bit did you hear last? I uh, know you just you were saying you were making the thing about was it Sal you were talking about there? I d- I don't know who it is, but is it someone... Sal or Richard? No, I don't, I, I, it sounds like someone else that they've come on. I think he's the same guy who does. Um, who's the other one? Because um, you know, there's there's new celebs on on, and whenever there's new celebs, you know, you know how Howard sort of talks about the celeb celebrity world and. Even like, there's, a, there's an American there's an American footballer called Peyton Manning, isn't there? Yeah. And uh, he's done prank phone prank phone calls using. Now I don't think it's Richard Sal. I think there's a third person that comes in and does maybe, it. Maybe, maybe. Because uh, yeah, that Jaws three. Oh wow, it's oh, it's yeah. I mean. Well, the reason I said that is, do you not think all them sort of sequels where they don't have any sort of main cast members in? Or like maybe one cast member who's like the third lead, but they're basically like ripping off fans. Like to me, that's what it feels like. But it's the name when the name of the film is is the biggest draw. Yeah. That's basically it. The biggest they're making money off the what the idea of the film is, as opposed to like what's actually. It's all in it. about um. See, yeah. the first Jaws is my like one probably my favorite ever film. I love it for so many reasons. Yeah. Um, the acting, not just yes, it's you know you could file it as horror, but I just think it's a generally great film from a great book. And you know what the the makers, whilst whilst everybody involved in the first film didn't fancy the idea of doing another one, but because it was in that era of making summer blockbusters like to do in the cinema. Ironically, it's a bit like the 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 um the theme to the first film and the book. You know the summer blockbuster drawing people into the summer. You know the mayor famously wanted people to go to the beach during the summer, despite um, you know a killer in the water, which will you know cause havoc. Um, the thing is, so they re- they reluctantly did the second film, but Spielberg was wise and said, "No, I don't want to do it." But um, and I was you can read this up on Wikipedia. Um, they were having problems coming up with the script and. Spielberg was brought in at the eleventh hour to to write up a new, a new. He didn't want to do it in the same theme as the first one. Do you know Quint, the character you know, who got, gets killed and has the boat? Who you know the shark hunter? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they thought about doing a, a film based on his um, 
his experience, like like a prequel, you know, because his story was that he was on. Now, the the greatest ever shock attack recorded in history is um, occurred in World War Two. There was an American warship called the Indiana- Indianapolis, which um, delivered the um, the atomic bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, was it was it off? Um, was it delivered off Hawaii? I can't remember. Anyway. And it got torpedoed by a, a Japanese sub just after they delivered it. So, and then all these like sailors were in the water. And you know what? What shocks when you mix blood and oil in the water, it becomes like you know, it's like ringing the dinner bell, as uh, Richard Dreyfuss' character famously said in the film. And that's the great, the biggest ever shock. And that was Quinn's backstory. And and Spielberg wanted to make that as a film. That was going to be that was potentially going to be the second film. But then they thought, nah, let's bring it back to Amity and bring back, um, you know, the main characters and stuff. So. Yeah, because um, I'm just looking on Wikipedia, actually, because I remember reading about this a while ago, because I thought, oh, I'm going to read it about Steven Spielberg's career. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, he, he still is doing some quite interesting stuff, because obviously the last film I've seen that he mm-hmm. did was Ready Player One, which is good, which did really well. Um, I was sort of half on to see that. But, yeah, he, he didn't do it as well. I mean, he said he made the ultimate shark movie. Why would you want to make another one? And yeah. he basically said exactly what I think about sequels, because I've already thought of the name of this episode for this podcast. It should be called Disappointing Sequels. <laughs> <laughs> because that's... Then, uh, why, did he, why, did he, why did he do the, the... I know he's not done the recent uh, Jurassic Park franchise, but he did the second and third one, didn't he? Like, I think he didn't, wasn't he, didn't he produce them, though? I think, uh, well, I think he was involved in them a little bit, but he didn't direct them. Okay. Um, he, did, he does that a lot, because, you know, if that's why, you know, the phrase, if you see in certain films, it says Steven Spielberg presents, because he would be involved in it, but he wouldn't, like, direct it. Okay. So he would produce things and whatnot. But um, he obviously did, um, yeah, um, I just remembered what it was that he didn't do Jaws 2 for, because, as you were saying, it went through such production hell, like it was yeah. in pre-production for 18 months trying to figure yeah. out what the hell to do with it, yeah. um, that he thought about coming back because he thought it would ruin like the franchise uh, if it wasn't any good. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you didn't want to tarnish him because it was the decision of the um, studio to, to do it, Universal, I think. Um, so he went and did Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which is mm-hmm. another fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't blame him at all. Um, for not wanting to be involved in it, um, and actually Roy Schneider only actually did it because he was contractually obligated to. He hated it. Um, so well, that's yeah. right. He was actually, if you, it should be on YouTube, but he was on Graham Norton Show, the the old Channel Four show. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. He. It was quite funny actually because, um, Roy Schneider actually tells a little white lie in that in this because, um. He said he said during the interview, yeah, I wasn't keen on doing the second one. So then Graham Norton pulled out a book in his drawer, and it was the Jaws 2 logbook. And he says, I find that interesting, because in here, he said, well, people fell in love with the first film, so I thought, why not? Let's give them another one. So <laughs> maybe, yeah, he gives contradictory, well, he did give contradictory views on that. Did yeah, but if he might have been sat on the film at the time or whatever it is, you know, like you do say stuff that you don't really ultimately mean. I actually think Jaws um, 2 isn't that bad of a film. I think that if I was to read the script, you know, like the kids being attacked, I, I, I thought, okay, what what I didn't like about the second film was, was the shock. You know, you know, they, he, he caught fire, so he had this big sort of um, burned scar on its side, and it just made it look crap. Mm-hmm. And it just, yeah, yeah the, mechanic, <laughs> the mechanics of it all just didn't, it wasn't like the first one. 
Um, but otherwise, I think it's quite a watchable film. It's not. It's not as terrible. I see. It's not Jaws. Three, never, three Jaws was never really my thing. Three and four were bloody awful, though. Yeah, like. I know. I just like that if you read the 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 IMDb for the fourth one, it got nominated for seven Golden Raspberry Awards, which is yeah. the like opposite of the Oscars, and it's regarded as one of the worst, the worst like um like sort of just trying to make money. Like you see, Michael Caine doesn't. He's not. He's not really that ashamed of it. He always referenced it. Like, what's that show called? Where is it in the actor's studio? Yeah, yeah, with uh, James Lipton. Yeah, he, he mentions it there a few times. So he's not like he doesn't sort of. Well, um, do, you did end up because I recommended it to you, didn't I? You did end up watching the Craig Figs. Yeah, so yeah, that was quite. Which funny. is great because you know the same star, star power as in Jaws Four. As in Mr. Congeniality 2, <laughs> Mr. Congeniality 2, which I completely forgot he was in that. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, I think that's definitely going to be the name of this episode, <laughs> Disappointing Sequel. Um, because another thing, the most obvious film franchise I can think of where they did a million of them was Tremors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seemed to be that particular era of the 90s of making all these, like, like late, late 80s, early 90s, making mm-hmm. a shit ton of sequels from a really successful 80s film. Um, the first, the first Tremors is a classic. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, like, yeah. So like, then they make five or six of them, like. Tremors, I don't, well, I don't, I remember seeing, um, I think I've seen the first one, and then the second one was like the third or fourth, so I've not seen them all. Yeah, Tremors 6 came out in 2018. <laughs> yeah, it came out May 1st, so only recently. They must have oh, been like, like straight to DVD ones then, or like... Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 actually on Netflix. Oh my god, I'm gonna still watch that at some point. Um, you, you know, what I find quite funny is when 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 they try Jamie when, Kennedy? when the B, B movies try and make like direct sequels. It's like, do you know, there's a Titanic two film out. Really? Yeah, it's like a B movie. It's sort of like a based oh. on like a like a modern ship. Um, <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Uh-huh. <laughs> And, well, and there's another film, we mentioned it before, you know, Terminator franchise. There's a film out there called The Terminators, plural. <laughs> and, and, and it's about these cyborgs that, that they, they don't shoot you. Well, they do if they've got a gun, but um, their, most, their most preferred option of killing you is actually pinning you down and punching you to death. <laughs> yeah, it's, God, yeah. I never heard, I, I never, I never heard, um, I never realised that they did a, a Titanic 2. As yeah. you said, it was a low-budget disaster film. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I might see if I can find that, because it's like... I like... Uh, I mean, that, because uh, apparently it was made to 500,000. 500, There's a few of them. There's a few of them. Um, what was the other one? Um, I think they did another um, War of the... Yeah, there's a War of the Worlds, too, like a B-movie. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, they just destroy, <laughs> like, classics, don't they? Like, I mean... Makes you wonder how they get around copyright. But. Well, that's the thing. Um, as long as as long as they can tweak the title, and I suppose there's nothing wrong with putting. Well, through. I doubt they'd probably make enough money to get back what they spent on it anyway. Because yeah. like I heard on um, a guy called Gary O'Brien who does fan made stock, fan made Star Trek productions, yeah. and so he writes his own episodes set in the Next Generation universe, mm-hmm. and he basically said quite candidly, which I was really glad he did because I was fascinated to know what the rules were that Paramount decided on because it was all based on people were making like fan fiction versions of Star Trek 
mm-hmm. using all the like copyrighted material and in intellectual property and making like loads of money off it. So obviously Paramount went, well, that's not acceptable. So the, the as worst... long as it's non-profit, basically, you can use all of the... Um, can the you think of any stuff. other um, franchise crossovers? Like the the the, the big uh, the most the most recognisable was like the Predators and Alien one, and I thought they were terrible. Yeah, I mean the first one was the first one was okay for what it was, and then yeah, it just got ridiculous. When they did the whole Alien gave birth to a predator for the second one, you know the the, the yeah that was just uh, just like this is well, just see, not Ridley's. I didn't. I, I watched. Um, do you remember when we when I told you that I didn't know the Alien? What was it called? The Incom- what's oh, you... incompetent or something or competent or something the... oh Covenant the Covenant, the, co- covenant the last one yeah I've not it, seen that yet I quite like that but I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's brilliant it, it's certainly not as good as the original ones I think uh, James Cameron did a, a quite a good job with the second the second one Aliens um, but there was, it was definitely much better than Promiscuous because that was that was uh, that was that Promiscuous was, yeah I I, I, I Struggle to like that, and I'm a huge Alien fan. Um, I think he's doing he's doing the other one, isn't he? He's doing another prequel. So. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll judge you when I see it because I haven't seen Alien Covenant yet. Um, I wanted to see it, but I struggled to get friends to go and see it. <laughs> I remember at the time. That's uh, written by John Logan, guy I did Last Samurai and stuff like that. Good, good, uh, good screenwriter. Are you um, going to see Solo this week? Uh, I don't know. Um, I still haven't seen the Avengers yet, much to my friend's disapproval. Um, because yeah, friend... I, I, I missed the Last Jedi because that was when I was caring for my mum full time. All right. Up, yeah. Okay. I still haven't. Yeah, seen. I, I want to see both. Um, I missed the Last so, yeah. Blade Runner. I missed the Last Blade Runner as well, and I was keen to see that. Yes, I remember we talked about that because yeah, Blade Runner is one of my favorite uh, oh, favorite films of all time. So you know. Um, so yeah, like disappointing sequels. God, I'm trying to think of more because there's like I bet there's a ton that people are. Robocop. Oh yeah, which one? The most recent one. Well, all well, of Robo- them. All of them after the first one. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Actually, you're right. Yeah. I know they remade it, didn't they? Was it Gar- Gary Oldman's in it, isn't he? Yes, um, and I remember he went on his only appearance, I think, on Craig Ferguson. I don't think he said it there, but he said it somewhere where he basically went, "I did it for the money." He yeah. actually just says it. Says it. He went. I just did it for the money to give me a boatload of money, and it was like not that hard to do. Um, and I, I, I'm like, good for him. Yeah. Good for him. I mean, I would be in a Robocop film because uh, just on the grounds that, as you just quite rightly said, because the comic books were brilliant, mm-hmm. um, uh, and the first one is very much at the edge to what Robocop was like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the brutality of it because it was a graphic novel kind of thing. So, um. You know, I remember the guys on Nerdist talked about this when it came out. Um, the you know the reason the first one is iconic because of you feel so bad for him because of how br- brutal how brutally murdered he is. Do you know um, what? Thanks you know. for mentioning that because I don't think in all in mo- in all the movies I've seen, I haven't seen a brutal more brutal death than than the way he was killed. You know, yeah. when they just like shot him to pieces and just like, you know, oh, how graphic was that? Yeah, with a shotgun and just constantly destroying him, yeah. And well, first of all, by blowing off his hand mm-hmm. and while he's yeah. on the oh. ground, then the way till yeah. he stands up and they just shoot him to death, like... Uh, the, guy, like... The, guy, the guy who kills him is a great actor as well. He's been in a lot of like Star Trek stuff. 
He's great, Tim. I think he's yeah. the best. He's the best person in that film. He'd be, he's a brilliant buddy. I'll try and figure out who he is because he's in one of my favorite stuff. He's also he's episodes. in a sitcom. He's in one of the popular American sitcoms. Um, yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what that is. Yeah. Um, because he he played um, uh, in Year of Hell in Star Trek Voyager, which is a two-parter, which I think is one of the best two-parters Star Trek ever did. Mm-hmm. Um, and he plays the main baddie, and he basically plays a guy who lost his wife, and he tries to change time with his time ship. I think he's um, also in. Um, I mean, I'm not looking at the net, but I'm going by memory. But he also is he also in Armageddon. He, he plays the um, guy in the control room, like speaking to the crew. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh no, that's Billy. Billy Bob. It might be Deep Deep Impact. There we go. Kirk, Kirkwood Smith is his name. Okay. Um, he's an actor who played in three different roles in Star Trek, spanning a movie in three episodes. He first appeared in The Undiscovered Country as the Federation president. And later appeared Therax in the Deep Space Nine fifth episode Things Past. And then he did Anorax in the Star Trek fourth Star Trek Voyager fourth season Year of Hell and Year of Hell Part Two. Um and he also has uniform as perhaps that there you go. Oh yeah, you know what it is? I almost said this feet sitcom, but I was just not sure of myself. Damn brain. He was in that seventies show. That's it. That's yeah. it. He was the father in that seventies show, you know, the me and Akun and Aston Kutcher. Um, thing and yeah, he was he is also known for his role as gang leader Clarence Bordicker in the yes, 1987th film science fiction film Robocop. He's one of the best yeah. baddies in movie history, Clarence. Yeah, he's brilliant, Kurt Woodsmith. Yeah, is he in is it Armageddon or Deep Impact or am I thinking of something else? Hang on, I'll type him in because I'm on the I'm on the uh, uh, Alpha Wiki for the Star Trek, so yeah. it only just says like uh, brief stuff. So I'll look at his uh, IMDb. He's in Mission Control talking to the crew. Um, okay, so I'll just run through, and I bet people will be shouting at us as we're listening to this. Like, what did Kirkwood Smith in? So, yeah, Robocop, uh, Flashpoint, Rambo 3. What? Um, he was in Rambo 3, played Robert Griggs. Don't remember that. Uh, oh, oh, yeah. Well, it's quite conveniently mentioned going, on, going about bad Bad uh, franchises, yeah. There's no <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again. I love, I love First Blood, but I hate the. Uh, yeah. Welcome to our discussion on terrible sequels. Yeah. We're now in Rambo Three. <laughs> Discuss. Um, he was in Dead Poets Society, which is a fantastic film. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm just going through. There's a load of them. I'm just going through ones that I've actually heard of. Um, oh yeah, he was in Under Siege too. He played the general. Um, it was a Under Siege Two is a Steven Seagal film. The one with the train is the second one. The first one's the boat. That's what everyone remembers. All the shit. Um, and the second one, yeah, he plays the general. Uh, I think he was in boat. Was he not in Under Siege One as well? No, 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 he wasn't. He was just in two. Um, Broken Arrow. Um, he was in Secretary of Defense. He plays a lot of them, like you know, politician-y roles or army dudes as well. Deep, deep Impact, is maybe that's what you were thinking of? Yep, that must be it. Yeah. yeah, the Deep Impact is one everyone confuses with Armageddon, because Deep Impact is the one with the asteroid hitting the Earth and creating a tidal wave, whereas Armageddon is about them blowing up the asteroid before it gets there, yeah. and they were both done around about the same time. They were, yeah, because <laughs> yeah. Deep Impact was 98, and I think Armageddon, yeah, says, notably, Deep Impact was released in the same summer as a similarly themed film, Armageddon. <laughs> with a... Morgan Freeman, yeah. Morgan oh. Freeman's anyone I ever remember remember in that. Both nice. Robert Duvall, Tia Leone, Elijah Wood. 
My, yeah, well, yeah. I, I thought Morgan Freeman played a very good president. It makes you think he should play the president more often. Mm. But that was the only good thing to come out of that film. Yeah, this guy's been in a lot of stuff. Kurt Smith, like, great actor. He's a bit like Max von Sydow. Yeah. <laughs> Swedish, that guy. He's just, like, yeah. in everything. No, I think he's Dutch. Is he Dutch, is he? Yeah, he's, he's also an escape to victory. Did you know that? Oh, no. Yeah, he plays one of the uh, the uh, the generals who who makes that um, football match happen between the prisoners and the Nazis. Uh, Max von Sydow is a Swedish actor. Two points oh, to me. God, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty certain that was on his Wikipedia page not too long Apologies ago. for assuming every Von is Dutch. <laughs> yeah, he was in. He was born in Lund in Sweden, and uh, and he was in. Um, he was Stowers? in Stowers, Yeah. Mm-hmm. Quite quickly, killed off, quite quickly killed off, I thought. Okay. And he's now in and he's now in Game of Thrones. Mm. Yeah, he's eighty nine, and he, he looks he's eighty nine. He looks exactly the same as he did like fifteen years ago. I know he's in Rush Hour as well, isn't he? Like, Rush most Hour famously in The Exorcist. Always the baddie. Esca- wasn't he in uh, Excalibur or whatever it was? Excalibur. Uh, I think he was in one of the Exorcist sequels. I think he. Oh, I think he was, yeah, he was in the second one. No, he, like, it wasn't he in the first one? Yeah, he was in the, the first second one. one. I, he played yeah. a younger version of himself in the second one, I think. Oh, I think that might be what I, that might be what I saw him in, like, it was early, early, yeah. And he wow. was, he was Ming the Mistress in Flash Gordon. What a fantastic, oh, Flash Gordon, that's what I'm thinking of, yeah. And I, I was going to say, because I saw his, I, that's right, I saw the credits for Flash Gordon, that's right. I knew I, that was going to bug me the rest of the day. Um... And obviously he was in. Ja- I know he's in James Bond. He's in Never Say Never Again, the villain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. God, he's got a great career. Like, yeah. Fantastic actor though, so not surprising. And he was in the Great Judge Dread. <laughs> so if, if he, I'm, I'm assuming that no, damn, being sarcastic. <laughs> he'd have been a star attraction at a comic con then, because he, he covers. Oh a lot God, of he's been in every. Yeah, no, yeah, he's been in everything. He's been in the Star Wars film. He's been in. Uh, you know, one of the greatest horror films of all time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was in Dune. Dune. You know, yep. Dune. Uh, what a fantastic, that's a fantastic film. And he was in Minority Report, which is sci-fi. So, mm-hmm. Robin Hood. Uh, yeah, and Game of Thrones now, which everybody wants to know, meet people from that. So, mm-hmm. so a whole new audience probably can't be soon. But yeah, what a fantastic actor. Yeah. But yeah. So I'd say two of the best, like, all the actors there we just talked about. Um, but yeah, before we get on to, I guess, wrapping things, we're going to wrap this up because we've been going on a while. Um, I thought, like, disappointing sequels, I know even though this is kind of like crowbar and insult and it doesn't make much sense, but it's like, what about the sequel Royal Wedding? <laughs> like, thoughts on um, the, the, the just complete rampage of media of just constantly talking about the Royal Wedding. I think that's kind of ways people to know how I feel about it, but I want to know what Ricky thinks <laughs> now that it's over <laughs> and we can breathe again. <laughs> right, so so I was uh, I was out in town on Saturday for... Um, you liar, you, you were in the front row, don't deny it. <laughs> just, just for your listeners, uh, my, my trade union is um, ACORN, which is like a renter's union. We, there was a national day of action and we did assume how busy the town would be given that the royal wedding was on, where it be full of people. Because we, we had a day of action outside TSB Bank, just for your listeners. This is a, 
one of the most popular banks in this country and probably around the world, I'm assuming. Mm -hmm. But they um, have a clause in their contract where they don't let out mortgages for people on housing benefits and so on, which includes like single mums and um, asylum seekers, students, etc. So we did a bit of a like a flash protest. So now I, I went on my way into town. Um, the town was like full of um, army and navy sort of like um, parades and and um, recruitment um, stalls and stuff. Because I'm assuming with Harry being was he was he in the army, wasn't he? He was like um, yeah yeah he went to Iraq I think. So I think uh, because of that they probably did that on that day. Um, and and the the roads were closed because of these military parades going on. So yeah, it was like thinking, well, you can't really escape the royal wedding because you know all this stuff's going on as well. Um, but I know compared to um, um, William and Kate, when was that? Two thousand eleven. I did notice like um, bunting on some streets wanting to celebrate it, albeit half-heartedly. But I never saw anything of that um, this time round. Um, and to be honest, I tried to give the whole thing as wide a berth as possible. I remember it was a warm day and I went into a coffee shop to, to cool down. I was drinking a cold coffee and I saw highlights on the TV. And I saw that they did it in a style of like a gospel, like a black church gospel type thing. Um which I thought was quite novel, um, different. Um, and I know it was a bit more scaled down than previous weddings. It, it didn't go the whole hog, even though it was still grand and everything. But I think, was it 30 million it was spent overall or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I know, and 100,000 on the dress, supposedly. But um, what I did get, actually, I got more annoyed before the wedding because this whole thing about Megan's dad being there or there or not, I mean, I was like, who gives a damn? Yeah, yeah. Hey, have you ever saw that Sky News um, show, The Pledge? No, I don't. I've never had Sky for quite a long time. For those that don't know, not based in the U in England, is Sky is like a cable provider, um, kind of. As in, you get like more channels than just regular TV. Um, so when is it? Every every Sunday or so on, they have this show called The Pledge, where these a uh, mixture of journals and celebs sit around a table and discuss all the. Oh God, that already sounds like something I would hate. Well, Nick, Nick, Nick Ferrari chairs it, who's a bit of a right wing. He's on LBC, and, and you know he's he's he's, he's annoying at the best of times. But... <laughs> Have you heard of Carol Malone, the journalist? Um, I think, I think she's, so. she's northeast based. I yeah, mean, yeah. she's the biggest gobshite on telly. She she made so much about about Meghan's dad not being there and her wanting them, and 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 the the rest that are on the table. To their credit, at least were. We're looking at the thing. Why are you getting so? Why is it any of your business? And why are you getting so pent up about it? And and I was like, you know, who gives a shit? I mean, every family has have problems and fallen outs and stuff. If one thing that the royal family has proved over the last, you know, couple of decades, go going back further even, that they're, they're as just as dysfunctional as the rest of us. They're, mm -hmm. they're not. They're not sort of like uh, they're not on a on a higher pedestal that they do everything right. They, they don't follow any code of conduct or play things by the book. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, they're, you've, you've hit a good, you've hit a really good point because that's kind of my uncomfortableness about it is that like finding out the name of the baby, you know, like uh, the Williams baby and all that kind of thing. And was it Williams baby? I think I'm right. I'm just really a little, I care about it, but whatever ba royal baby was recently. Um, you know, cause, um, 
like all the who's it going to be, what's it going to be, who's it going to be called, whatever, what's this, who's that, what's what she going to wear at this time and this time that that time. And I'm like, I'm like, and as you quite rightly said about like her dad not going, I went, who the hell cares? Like, but they've got this thing as this like it's like they're not turning up to their wedding or something. People take it so personally, and I'm like, what about like the person around the corner or your next door neighbour? who, like, doesn't invite their dad to their wedding or something like that, like, would you care as much? It's not. The only reason you care is because media tells you you should care about it. Exactly. Um, so, and, I, and I, I don't get that at all. I'm like, li- just live your own life. Like, it doesn't matter. It's because of, it's, it's, it, it, if they spent next to no money on it, no, I don't think anyone would be bothered. But the fact it's all this, like, 30 million fairy tale looking thing gets people interested in it. Um, but I'm, I'm not I'm a royalist either. at all. I'm not a um, royalist, but I'm not necessarily anti-monarchist either. I yeah, mean, I just don't care. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I. I mean, the thing is, the the Yanks and the Japanese and and, and <laughs> they're 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 absolutely obsessed with them. The Americans care about it more than we do. I know, yeah. and, yeah. and they're 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 a, they're a tourist like cash cow, aren't they? They're like people who come over here. Um, they're fascinated by it, and they want to. You, know. <laughs> you reminded me of, I saw on ITV News, this was a couple of weeks ago, and it was a woman who had a shop that sells nothing but memorabilia for that event, for the wedding, and she was like dressed in like, <laughs> she just, like honestly, this was like, I was in stitches and your mom just didn't get it right. She had a full Union Jack dress on with a Union Jack top like hat on, and like, so basically was wearing like all of her like stuff you can buy in her own shop. And then she turns to the reporter halfway through the interview and goes, I don't think I'm doing anything too extreme. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, she needs help. She needs psychological help. And she goes, I think what I'm doing is pretty much... And she's, like, surrounded by a room that is, like, full of Union Jack stuff. Like, you can't hang on, hang on, hang on. Hang on. Can, can I just uh, stop you there? Mm-hmm. Just just so we're not in danger of contradicting ourselves. Because remember on the last Mentally Sound show, we talked about, like, nerds and people who are passionate about things yeah. isn't isn't she not isn't this not her escapism and this not makes her happy and are we being too judgmental on her just because she likes the royals as much as we hmm. do i guess i guess it's how obsessed you are probably yeah like it it, it it goes down to like we talked about you know when i defended video games on the show is that like it depends how much of something you do because if you defend it too much then it's like you've got a problem. It's a bit like a person who's an alcoholic and you go, I think you drink too much. How dare you? I do not. You know, give me my vodka back. Mm. <laughs> like, that indicates that they've got an issue. Um, yeah, you're right, but you're right in the, in the sense of who are we to say what someone gets interested in or whatever it is. But um, it's just when people get obsessed with something to the point of they don't live their lives. Like, that's what yeah. I sort of find. Like, when people are, like, sort of so immersed in it that they're like, they can't wait. And they can't wait. Whereas, like, you know, I'm for example, I'm a huge fan of basketball, and I'm finding it really, really hard when the games are really late in America because the games then are like three, four in the morning over here, and I just don't. Particularly with how I'm feeling with looking after my mom and whatnot, I don't have time. Like, I, I can't, I can't stay up that late anymore. I'm get, as I'm getting older, it's just too hard. Yeah. Um. So I love basketball, but I wouldn't sacrifice that, like my general well-being. To, to do that, I just wait for tomorrow, the next day, and watch the highlights. Mm-hmm. Like the sacrifice you have to make. Um, so you know. Well, I'm, I'm a bit like that during uh, like uh, match day. It's like mm-hmm. 
I, I, I'm not I'm not obsessed to the point where I'll I want to know like the results there and then. I'm quite happy to wait till match of the day is on tonight and then watch it all then and sort of like remain excited as if I didn't know the scores. Um, yeah, I, I, you know I have my passions, but I don't let them drive me to the point where you know I lose all sense of every everything else that's going on in my life. In a nutshell, I'm just kind of revealed it's over because like this has this 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 um, I guess good way to end the show is this has overtook um, people talking about like North Korea and America and South Korea communicating for the first time about nuclear weapons. Like, that is, like, going to be a most historic thing in that no one's going to remember the World Wedding after that. Nobody. Nobody is. Because that is going to potentially protect the world for, like, years and years and years, hopefully. If this happens, that that's brilliant. I wonder why they decided to do it on the day of the cup final, though. I wonder if it's just, like, did they want it to be a little bit more less modest or was the clash deliberate or... Very good point. Not sure. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, that's another thing I was going to say. Being as though we're football fans, and I know that we try, I try very hard not to talk about football too much on this, but your predictions, sir, for the Champions League final on mm-hmm. Saturday, who do you think is going to win, and what is your score? You're playing for £100,000. <laughs> if you get the score, exactly I'll right. Be, I'll really, I, you know, I, I really like Jurgen Klopp. I think he's a breath of fresh air, mm-hmm. you know, yep. in terms of managers. and I've always had this obsession with football managers, like... Because I've always seen them as eccentrics. And I think he's re- he's a really down to earth, really genuine, nice guy. So I hope Liverpool win it um, for him and 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 the, and the city. And it's the first but... time in a while I've actually wanted an English team to win because I never used to like, want Man United to win. Um, I actually do want Liverpool to win. I mean, I'm I'm not a patriotic person. Don't think they will though. But when it comes to European like club competition, I always gun for every like British team. In there, I don't know why, because my my love for the national team hasn't been great over the years. You end up being um, kicked <laughs> I, in the guts by them. I made a joke to my friends at the pub on Monday, going, "I'm sorry, guys, I can't be around for the summer because I'm on the standby list for the England team." Because <laughs> um, <laughs> I went, if you look at the people we picked, I must have a chance. I must be not far off. Although, although Shelby was unlucky not to get picked. Because... Yeah, but the thing is, it's like, this is the thing that annoys me about football managers. If they don't fancy a player, they just don't give him a chance. Yeah. Like, so he never got in any of the friendlies. So, But I mean, as I, that young kid from um, Liverpool, Arnold, he didn't really get a look in in the national team. It's only because he started to play well for Liverpool. I like that he did that. Um, but for See, a life back, He's not going to play. He's not going to play, though. On his, on his day, I still believe that Jack Wilshere is the best player we have. But he's so I know, in- and he never got a look, yeah. Yeah, he's so injury-prone, and he's been so out of form that he doesn't deserve to Yeah, play. but if you're not picking him now, when are you going to pick him? Because the next like World Cup, he'll be 29 or something. It's like he yeah. needs to he needs to leave Arsenal. I think if he went to a foreign league, he's one of the few English players. I think if he went to a foreign league, he'd like show how amazing he is. Well, they've got a new manager now, so we'll mm, see what. Yeah, Uno Emery, which is a shock, but anyway. But but back to the final. Um, do you know? I think Liverpool do have a genuine chance because do you know that Real Madrid in the Champions League campaign have only kept one clean sheet. I read. I, I think I heard recently. Mm-hmm. So they are prone. And Salah on form, Mane on form. I think Liverpool could do it. You know. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say. Two uh, one. Ah, oh, right. Okay, great. Well, 
I'll bet Ricky, and this is in my, this is in, this is in, you know, verbal agreement mode. I will bet you then, if you agree to this, I will bet you a coffee then, because we don't want to make it too extreme, you know, because we're not, we're not full of money, people who are listening. Um, is um, I will bet you a house, but uh, no, um, I reckon it'll be two one Madrid then. So if you're willing to bet yep. with me, a little friendly yep. bet, okay. Yep. Right, because I think 2-1, I think Salah will score, but I think it'll be the final where Bale reminds people that he's actually half decent. Yeah, I, I don't think he'll play. Really? No, but think... he hasn't been playing for a while, I think him and... Yeah, the... But he, started, he, he scored a couple of goals recently, and it looks like he's... Um, he, I, I think they'll play BB, whatever I think he will leave Madrid, though, and... I think well, he... rumours yesterday swapped deal with Salah. That was what was, um, that was what was hinted at. Uh, I wouldn't. In order, in order to pay for Salah because they probably want two hundred million. They were like, we'll give you eighty million and like bail or something. Um, that's that's the. What do you what do you I think of Salah very quickly? Just... Um, he needs to do this more than once to be considered amazing. Um, because loads of players have had particularly great seasons and then not done anything afterwards. Um, we could name quite a few English people in the 90s when we were growing up that had like a fantastic season and fell off the pedestal. As Harry Kane puts it, and I'm not a big, I'm not a huge Harry Kane fan, and I've had arguments with my friends forever about this. But Harry Kane said something that was quite, quite, um, uh, you know, egotistical, but right. Where he went, congratulations on Salah winning the the, the Golden Boot for uh, the Premier League this season. But he needs to do that. He needs to average 30 goals every season, like me, to be considered great. He was having a little dig there, wasn't he? Yeah, so, but he was right. It was egotistical and very, like, you know, big-headed of him. But he's right that Salah needs to do this for another five years or something to be considered um, yeah, that's elite, elite. Elite. Because, well, and, you yeah. know, like, look at Chris Sutton or something. I can name, like, Chris Sutton, Andy Cole was never really as great as he was when he played for us. He still did good for Manchester United, but he was not the same player. Um, I said Chris Sutton, when he was at Blackburn originally, scored a shit ton of goals, then didn't do anything. There's plenty of people who have had really good seasons. Andy Johnson, when he played for Crystal Palace, mm. like, you know, scored a ton, like, a good goal that yeah, season. That's when the I think that Salah was leagues above them, though. You know, he is. I agree with you, talent-wise and whatnot. See, my friend made a good point in the pub on Monday. He thinks that Liverpool um, play to his strengths. So if he went to a different team, he'll not be like, you know, because Liverpool have got a good team, but not a great team. I mean, they're, they're a good team. I like them a lot. And I like. Watching I think they're, they're saying, two, but... three players short of being title, title contenders. Yeah. They only need, a, yeah. I only think they need a couple of like, um, uh, the the guy they bought from Kieta that they bought from Leipzig, Leipzig from um, Red Bull Leipzig or whatever the name from Germany. He's quality, um, you know, they had a, they bought him at the beginning of the season, but put him on, but they had a loan deal that he went and played another twelve months with his club. Go, he's, go back he's, to, he's brilliant. He'll make them brilliant. He's going really back good to going back to Harry Kane, um, uh. I'm intrigued by the squad that the Southgate gets picked because I've always been an advocate for like you know picking young squads with a hint of experience. But I'm not sure about Harry Kane being captain. I don't what I, I don't know what you think, but I've never agreed with forwards being captains. I always prefer my captains to be like a heart of defence or heart of midfield. 
like you know being the center of it, uh, uh, center of it all all the time. Mm-hmm. I think our problem is looking at our list. I haven't got it up now, but I looked at it the other day, and um, it's. I think it's our least talented midfield in quite a while. That's the problem. Do you realise if if um, if Liverpool win on Saturday that it'll be a Mackham lift in the cup, Jordan Henderson because he's he's Liverpool captain, isn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I think that's what's happened to Sunderland, and then you yeah, I was just about to say that small mercy for the fact that Sunderland. Uh, I'll I'll let them have that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, better that than like Sunderland lifting the Champions League. That would be like, you know, uh, not going to happen anytime soon. Ah! <laughs> Anywho, right? Cool. We'll wrap this up. Thank you so much for anyone who's listened to this episode um, of. Um, uh, disappointing sequels. Let's just hope we're not a disappointing sequel <laughs> for the last time that we did this. Um, our next episode of Mentally Sound, because this will be released hopefully the tomorrow after we recorded this. So our next episode of Mentally Sound is this Friday, which is uh, the 25th. Sorry, yeah, 25th of May, um, 12 to 2 p.m. on Spice FM. You can listen on SpiceFM.co.uk and click on the listen button on the top right corner, and you can listen to us live. And then um, I'm going to put, obviously, the other episodes that I haven't so far. No, I haven't talked about my mom very much, but um, with it being mental health orientated, and obviously Mental Health Awareness Week was recently, we're going to talk about that on that show probably in much more detail. Um, so, yeah, just in a nutshell, my mom, I think, has um, a water infection, and I helped her today um, take a urine sample, which is, uh, certainly makes you feel old and uh, responsible. <laughs> It was just like, oh, was, don't worry, I've done that as well. So. Yeah, well, wasn't able to uh, do it myself, so that was fun times. A lot of a lot of, uh, a lot of um, uh, latex gloves and a lot of like just looking away. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but yeah, so you know the, the things you have to do. But yeah, again, I pick up a dog shit every day, so you know, <laughs> really, really not, uh, really not that big of a problem. Um, the you know, so and I have actually took a urine sample for Lister before my my dog, so. It isn't. You, you start realizing it's completely not that big of a deal, um, but yeah. So hopefully that will help her because she's been having a little bit like hallucinations, which is what happens when you have an infection like that. Um, yeah. You know, starting to uh, be a bit weird. Cause so anyway, so that took up a lot of my time, and today was like they wouldn't take. Because you know, I don't know if you know this, but GPs have changed their policy on urine samples because apparently. Um, people, you, you, the the law used to be that you could just go in and say, I think I've got a problem with something. Um, can some, can you have this urine sample checked? But apparently, because the law was that, that people would just come in and say, Oh, I want, you know, hypochondriacs would say, you know, I think something's wrong with me. Check my urine sample. And so they couldn't keep up with the demand. So the laws changed recently that you actually have to have an on-call doctor from whatever GP to ring you and diagnose like either what you have or what your you know, passing the urine sample of, like, so for me, it was my mum. So they rang me and said, why are you giving us your mum's urine sample? And I had to explain why. Um, <laughs> and I was like, you know, like, I was in, I was like, oh, no reason, I just took it. I just thought, um, just you know, help mine, yeah. yeah, yeah, I just thought <laughs> you need something to do. Um, you know, you looked a bit, you looked a bit bored, uh, you know, so why not? Um, you know, uh, so yeah, so that was an interesting I illuminate the place. I thought it needed doing, yeah. And yeah, so um, the funniest thing, which I hope makes people laugh who listen to this, and which they did me, but I'm like, I had my mum's piss in my fridge two hours today. Because <laughs> <laughs> I had to put it in the fridge to stop it being uh, uh, contaminated. 
um, because they sent me home from the GP saying they wouldn't do that, and then I had to ring my mum's nurse, who then said, I'll ring them, and then she said, okay, I managed to get the, they said the doctor's going to ring to talk to you about why you need to do this, and then I explained that my mum had hallucinations since Saturday. Um, so you were literally um, taking the piss, boom, boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was, and they were taking the piss, but they wouldn't <laughs> take the piss. Yeah, they were taking the piss, but wouldn't take the piss, you know, and I was pissed. Uh, yeah, all different kinds of piss, yeah. Um, but yeah, so um, hopefully this is the start of my mum getting treatment for it and she's all right, because, you, know, um, you know, we started this podcast talking about the weather, um, and I'd like to say to people in Britain, because we don't do this enough, please drink enough water. Um, not enough people do, because my mum not looking after herself in that sense is clearly what's going on, because... And um, when she had hallucinations on Saturday, she hadn't ate or drank in six and a half hours. And mm-hmm. I'm like, and I just went, what do you expect? <laughs> Quite frankly. Um, well, you know. as well, the um, you should be drinking enough water anyway to prevent like kidney stones as well. Yeah, 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 exactly that too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Um, so yeah, we're about the silks have been going for quite a while. Um, huge thank you for everyone who's listening. Um, Obviously, we might do another one of this pretty soon because uh, mentally sound's been sort of taken off and I'm really happy about that. We haven't had a chance to talk about that, really, so we might do that um, soon. Um, yeah, and so obviously, if you like this, please do subscribe to us on iTunes. Um, hopefully, my plan is as well to work on the website soon because um, that's just been something that I've never had a chance to sit down and do because um, I know that's been offline for a while. Um, so I'm going to try and do that hopefully this weekend. Um, but yeah, um, I'll end the podcast like I always end in the words of the great boom, 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 bo